Hi, everyone, and welcome to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host today, Susan Deneker with Steptoe & Johnson in the state of West Virginia in the United States. On the program, we span the globe with updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Joining us on the program today is Kato Ertz, partner at Lydian in Belgium, and one of our Employment Matter podcast hosts. It's nice to have a podcast co-host today, Kato, from a different country. Welcome to the program. I'm really excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And it is pretty exciting to do a podcast again as a guest instead of a host. So thank you for hosting me, Susan. I really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm very excited about this topic. I'm really going to be learning today along with our listeners. So, you know, Kato, as you know, as as somebody else who moderates podcasts on a regular basis, the ELA promises listeners interesting and timely topics. And we are certainly delivering on that promise today. Kato and I will be discussing what lies ahead in 2024 for the Council of the European Union. Belgium assumed the final rotating presidency of the EU Council on January 1st, 2024. So Kato, start off by giving us some background here. What is the Council of the EU and what does it do? Well, in the Council of the European Union, also known as the Council, ministers from all European countries, well, EU countries, meet to discuss, amend, and approve legislative proposals and coordinate policies. Very important for our listeners to know is that they should not confuse the Council of the European Union with the European Council, as confusing as that may seem. The European Council is the EU institution that consists of the heads of state or government of the 27 EU member states and the European Council president, as well as the president of the European Commission. So the European Council president is Charles Michel, and the European Commission president is Ursula von der Leyen. So those make up together the European Council. That's not what we're talking about today. The institution, the European Council, basically organizes quarterly summits where EU leaders meet to set the broad outlines of the EU policymaking. Then another well, another topic not to be confused or another element not to be confused with is the Council of Europe, which is not what we're talking about either today. The Council of Europe is not even an EU institution. It's basically an international organization that is set up to promote democracy, human rights and the rule of law. What we are talking about today is the Council of the European Union, as you mentioned correctly, Susan. So what does it do? First of all, along with the European Council, it interprets the voice of the member states in the policy and decision-making of the EU. The Council of the European Union acts at the ministerial level, so not with the heads of government or heads of state, as the European Council does, but on a ministerial level. And basically, it, it adopts agreements that are binding on the national governments. And then a second aspect of its role is to adopt legislation together with the European Parliament. So they will always have to co-adopt together with the Parliament. And it also takes on policymaking and coordinating tasks. For example, member states should consider their economic policy a matter of common interest, which they coordinate through the framework of this council. So as you can see, it's a fairly important institution um, at the ministerial level. So basically interpreting the policy, making also EU legislation and making sure that the member states are looking at the same direction. Kato, this American has already learned a lot just in the first part of this podcast. Help our listeners understand here. 
you stated that the Council of the EU consists of ministers, but explain to us which ministers exactly are involved. Yes, you're right, Susan. So there's only one Council of the European Union, but depending on the topic that they are discussing, they have a different composition, so to speak. So the topics that there are are general affairs and foreign affairs. Those are specific councils. But then they also have agriculture and fisheries, competitiveness, economic and financial affairs, environment, employment, social policy, health and consumer affairs. I mean, this general description is mainly important for employment lawyers, I would say. Education, youth, culture and sport, justice and home affairs, transport. So a variety of topics. And then depending on the topic that they're discussing, they're sending the minister that has this within their competency in their home country in the member state. These different formations are also important for the presidency of the council because it's necessary to make a distinction between the Foreign Affairs Council and the other council formations. So the Foreign Affairs Council is always presided by the high representative of the union, but the presidency of the other council formations is exercised according to a rotating system based on equality, and this for a six-month term. And that's exactly where Belgium comes into play now. So Belgium is now temporarily chairing the council as president for the first time since 2010. It's the 13th time that Belgium is taking on this role. It used to be more often, obviously, because there were fewer member states. So it happens less and less often now that the European Union is growing. But it's a fairly important one for all of these topics that I just mentioned, apart from the General Affairs and the Foreign Affairs Council. Yes, certainly these ministers are touching upon every aspect of life, it sounds like, for members of the EU and the people that live in those countries. So, Kato, you're obviously a citizen of Belgium, and now your country has assumed the rotating presidency. Tell us, what is the role of Belgium as it assumes this rotating presidency this year? Well, taking into account the responsibilities that I just mentioned, Belgium has to lead the European agenda and promote cooperation amongst the member states as president of the council during this mandate. That does not mean that Belgium will be the boss, unfortunately. Um, there I was going to ask uh, you that. Or do they get <laughs> dictator status or do, do they actually have to work and compromise with others? They actually have to work in compromise. Well, let it be that compromise is a fairly Belgian word. We're quite known for doing that with all of those different groups that we have living in Belgium. But um, there are, in fact, 28 bosses being the 27 heads of state and government and then the president of the European Commission. Those are the actual bosses. But the role of Belgium will be to act as a neutral mediator, basically, to lead the legislative work, to seek compromises among EU member states where that is necessary. And as a consequence, Belgium has to work closely with the other EU member states and institutions, such as the Council, the European Commission and the European Parliament, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast. During the presidency of Belgium, several summits and conferences will take place during which important decisions will be taken on the future of the European Union. And the key word is, is this compromise, facilitating role, making sure that we all get along, which is, of course, important in life. It's a big deal. Everybody's got to play nicely in the sandbox to get anything done. That's a lot of bosses, as you note. And Belgium obviously has a significant role as it takes over this rotating presidency. It's a six-month presidency. That's a short period of time, Kato. So what are the priorities set by the Belgian presidency as you understand them? 
Well, when asked about the purpose of this presidency or the main goal for this presidency, our Prime Minister Alexander de Croo spoke of protecting our people, strengthening our economy and preparing for a common future. So although Belgium is subject to a lot of time pressure, because as we'll certainly touch upon later, there is going to be elections in Europe. So there's some time pressure. But the timing of this presidency is very important because it helps Belgium to ensure the course of action and the strategic agenda of the next five years. So the Belgian presidency's priorities have been presented in December of last year. And besides climate change, economic growth and social cohesion, the Belgian presidency will also need to deal with the complex geopolitical environment and finalizing ongoing legislative initiatives before the end of the term. So in total, Belgium has set six priorities for its presidency. The first one is defending the rule of law, democracy and unity. So the Belgian presidency aims to strengthen the empowerment and inclusion of citizens with a special focus on youth participation, as well as work on the European education area, quality of education, lifelong learning, mobility and sport. With regards to new member states, and that's very important, our prime minister said that he believes that we need to get better before we get bigger. So currently, the Schengen area is under pressure. Respect for the rule of law is declining. The European Banking Union is still not ready 15 years after the banking crisis began. And so the European single market is in need of modernization in many areas. According to our prime minister, this must be remediated before enlarging the EU. So that will also be an important part of this topic. Then The second topic is strengthening our competitiveness. The Belgian presidency aims to create a level playing field for businesses, especially small and middle-sized companies, enabling them to compete fairly both within Europe and on the global stage. A coherent, predictable and simplified regulatory framework is key. And the purpose is for the EU basically to lead the way in creating a sustainable, innovative and resilient digital ecosystem that empowers citizens and benefits businesses. The third one is pursuing a green and just transition. So the EU's transition agenda is driven by the urgent need to address the triple crisis of, first of all, climate change, secondly, biodiversity laws, and thirdly, pollution. And the Belgian presidency underscores the importance of decisive and holistic action in this field. The fourth topic is reinforcing our social and health agenda. The Belgian presidency aims to equip the EU with an ambitious social agenda to foster a European society that is more inclusive, gender equal and fair for all. For this aspect, Belgium wants to weigh in particularly on the next European legislature. At the end of January, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, European employers and employees and Alexander de Croo will discuss personnel shortages skills and the impact of technological developments on the labor market. So this is particularly of interest for employment lawyers and HR practitioners listening. The fifth point is protecting people and borders. The Belgian presidency aims to address all remaining legislative files associated with the new European Pact on Migration and Asylum. The pact will reinforce trust between member states in a spirit of responsibility and solidarity, bring legal clarity to people arriving in the EU, and ensure EU citizens of humane and effective management of migration in line with our values and international law. And then the last priority, there are many, but the last one is promoting a global Europe. So the Belgian presidency states that it will vigorously pursue the efforts made by the EU to strengthen its resilience and autonomy and defend its interests and values. Susan, I feel like a politician stating all of these priorities. Maybe I should ambition a career in politics. <laughs> well, there's no doubt that you would be great, Kato. I'm sure many of us would vote for you if we could. There's no doubt it's an ambitious agenda, right? And you mentioned these upcoming elections in June of 2024. Explain why 
there's an urgency to get things moving and done before those elections. Exactly. So there will be European elections in June of this year, which will have an impact on how Belgium approaches its presidency. Obviously, polls suggest that the results of the next election will most likely have a strong far-right influence. And in any case, Hungary will take on the next presidency of the council. So there's pressure because the EU parliament will also go into recess in few of these elections. And some things need to be concluded before that, or at least that is the aim. So there's a strong will and a certain pressure to finalize pending matters, but, you know, to make sure that these come into play before the elections. If no agreement is reached before then, we will have to wait for the new parliament uh, with new members of the European Parliament who will first have to familiarize themselves with some cases and then perhaps will have completely different political preferences. New power relations will be in place. Up until now, this pressure has been rather beneficial. So it has ensured, for instance, that the Migration Pact was approved under the previous presidency of Spain already. And it's very likely that member states will now be even more willing to reach agreements to make sure that this still happens before the elections. The time pressure might even be more increased by the fact that Charles Michel, the current president of the European Council, has now also announced that he wants to pursue his own political career as a member of the European Parliament, which means that his presidency of the European Council would come to an end early. Normally, if elected Charles Michel would have to step down as European Council president before he's being sworn in as a member of the European Parliament. Otherwise, his mandate would have ended only in November 2024. So that's additional time pressure that we're facing. But as I said, so far, it has been rather beneficial. Let's see where it takes us the next months. There's a lot to do in a little bit of time, Kato. And as I listen to you discuss those priorities, they're all a big deal. These are big issues that don't have easy solutions. And as we look at the timing of the presidency just being a six-month period, does that timing still make sense given the big issues that the EU Council faces and that the president specifically needs to try to get a lot done in a short period of time with a big group of people? Well, Susan, you're touching on a question that has been asked frequently. So whether the six-month time frame is even realistic. You know, the system of making a different member state president of the Council of the European Union every six months was introduced back in 1958. And there were six member states at that time. So it was a completely different reality. And by the way, Belgium was the very first president back then. So to this day, the rotation system is still in place. But it's also seen as a way to bring the concept of Europe closer to the citizens. So these topics, as you mentioned, are very important. So it could also be argued for that this is actually beneficial that member states take up this rotation quite frequently. And it's only a six-month term to make sure that all of the member states are engaged over a time span. If you know that there are 27 member states, giving six months to every member state, that takes you quite some time before it's your turn again. So I guess it's a compromise, as we've mentioned already a few times. I mean, that's what happens when you're with many people at one table and you need to make sure that it keeps working. Well, we'll keep an eye on that to see if there's further discussion and any change. As we wrap up here, Kato, I'm going to ask you for the insider perspective. So you're obviously Belgian, as you and the folks that live in the country are preparing and watching what's happening as Belgium is the current rotating president of the EU Council. What's the feel in Belgium of folks? How is that viewed by the citizens of Belgium? Is it getting any traction there? Well, 2024 is a special year for Belgium because it's an election year in general. We have elections coming up on national level. And so the presidency 
you know, is viewed by many as, as an excellent opportunity for Belgium to regain a positive image after it is known a period of political turmoil. I mean, we've had the migration crisis, nitrogen crisis, the budget deficit. There was a recent terrorist attack in Brussels. So, you know, I'm an optimist. I'm hoping that it will indeed give some positive image to Belgium. But it certainly is an important year also on the national level because we don't know where the elections will take us. And I would say that for all Belgian citizens, the elections is definitely the word that is buzzing around. I'm not sure they necessarily refer to the European elections. I think many people are more concerned with what is happening on the national level, but it's certainly mentioned in the same sentence. So yeah, let's keep monitoring that. And I'm very curious to see the result of those elections. Well, you know, the issues that you mentioned that are priorities for this presidency impact not just people in Belgium and people in the EU, but candidly are world citizen issues. So we'll all be paying attention to see how successful this is and what the progress that is made on these important topics. And maybe we can come back and do a follow-up podcast to see where we are here at the end of the six-month presidency. Kato? I would love that. I would love that too. And, you know, we promised our listeners a fascinating discussion and we delivered on it again, right? I mean, not only was it a great topic, but what a great discussion. You provided so much important information. I have learned so much. I think that that's true of our listeners as well. And really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm absolutely happy with the discussion we just had. If only these politicians would get along as nicely as we do, then we could solve the world's problems, Susan, you and I. <laughs> I like it. I like it. We Solving problems, you know, through podcasting at the ELA, it's wonderful. We'll, we'll continue this. And I do hope we will save the date for a follow-up podcast on this because I know our listeners would love it. Speaking of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to connect with Kato, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, you can search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Susan Deniker. Thanks so much for listening.